Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 28. Begins with a shot of the corridor and ends with, well, another shot of the corridor, really. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, again, today we have Pete the Retailer from Star Wars Minute. Uh, How's it going today, Pete? It's good. Glad to be back in this... uh... This weird alien corridor. Yeah. I was going to point something out, uh, Pete. Up to now, up until this week, we have mentioned Star Trek every episode of this show, naturally. It just seems to come up. And uh, I sort of relied on you to bring it up a couple of times, too. (laughs) But I think I'm realizing... I think I'm realizing that it might have something to do with this tonal shift that happened right there at minute 25. It just occurred to me. I wonder, I, I'd mentioned to Mitch, who gets, he, he was starting to get a little annoyed with the constant Star Trek talk, um, <laughs> that at some point it would all fall away. That The references, the setups of characters and the use of tropes that were established uh, by Star Trek would become less prevalent in the movie. And I think that's happened. Do you think so, Mitch? Does my theory have any credence? Yeah. And if you hadn't kept referring to them as the away team, we might have gone for three minutes without anything that even echoed Star Trek. Yeah, I was going to mention that. You did call it away team. so It's so natural to me to, to bring up Star Trek. I didn't even notice that. Well, well what's extraordinary about this, this corridor minute is that it's only two shots. I'm, I mean, it just blows my mind. It's made up of one... 18 second take and then one 40 second take and yes the frame changes the the images people move closer to camera away from a camera but there are no cuts and it's not done in a way to say look at me i'm doing something without a bunch of cuts it's done to immerse you in this place and i think it's unbelievably effective these dark claustrophobic spaces that we're moving through with steam venting out of our helmets and and then the the awkwardness of just trying to make your way through this because I guess you're probably stepping on a rib cage below you the same as there's one right. next to you it's just really it's really creepy and really effective <laughs> yeah could we could we talk a little bit about the the vertical venting yeah I, that was uh, one of the things that I really liked about this minute that uh it's not i I can't think of any other examples of that before or after where they have that just kind of blow hole effect and it's you know it reminds me almost of like a humidifier or something i don't know how they you know what specifically the effect was if they did like you know fog machine or something like that but uh it's it's a really cool look it's it's very unique and it just adds to the atmosphere because the planet seems to be venting stuff as well so everything is just spraying you know stuff into the air all through this yeah so i'm wondering um until i watched this this minute today right before uh, we came in to record i had never really thought about what it is that is in dallas's hand did you guys notice the object he has in his hand and he seems to be using it for something pete did you notice that uh, no, I was lo- I got distracted by his hand. Okay. Yeah, he brings this box up and yeah. he kind of shoves it up on a little ledge. But I don't know whether I assumed he's taking some kind of readings. Right. That it was a 
tricorder, was, if you will. <laughs> I was uh, I was going to say that if you didn't, Mitch. But I was yeah. looking for weapons and still no weapons, even though they said break out the weapons. I was trying to see if there was anything on those suits that looked vaguely like a, a gun. And in the um, Dan O'Bannon script, they have laser gun. I think he's break out yeah. the laser guns. He, oh, says. he says that. There's the something script. lasery in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pete, we had we had Tom from the Indiana Jones minute on last week. And oh, nice. uh, in one of his minutes, Dallas, when they decide to take the, uh, you know, everybody volunteers for the away team, he, Dallas says, the last thing he says is, get the weapons. And we were talking about how we don't think there's ever any weapons at any point in this movie. So, yeah, so I'm trying to, trying to recall. Aliens, of course, is loaded with them, but I can't think of any. Oh, and Aliens, the ship they're on is a rifle. <laughs> Did you ever notice yeah. it has a handle and everything? So it's uh, completely the opposite. But yeah, uh, so we've been on the lookout for weapons on their suits mm. and just don't see them. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of one. No. But a plan finally emerges at the end of this minute, though. Right. Kane does say, if I can just get up that wall, right. there's something up there for us to go and see. And so this kind of oddly static, dreadful 60 seconds of just trying to make our way through this corridor does end with Kane, the guy who's always the one to be first through the door, say, get me up there. We can climb <laughs> over. Well, and one thing that happens here, too, we talked about how Ridley Scott covers scenes, and here he's covering this in a one-shot like we're talking about. And what he does is Kane splits for just a minute, and we follow him uh, to the left of frame. And I think this is significant because where early on when we're seeing Kane first wake up and we were discussing, oh, is this going to be our protagonist? Is this the point of view we're going to be watching this movie through? I think we reestablished that here, actually. I think he, you know, Scott splits off, gives him his own shot for a moment, and we jump right into Kane's point of view. And I think we're uh, in the next few minutes, we're going to stay there. And there's a really good reason for that that we'll talk about in a few minutes from now. But um, I found that a really significant camera move. Yeah, it it does. You know, it's part of how this this movie plays with those kind of things a little bit. That uh, you know, the the kind of uh, explorer guy there. That you you know, oh great, we're gonna this is gonna be our guy, and then he is kind of, but then also not in the long run. I don't. Again, I'm, I'm I've got my little kind of internal spoiler filter on, and I want to be like, well, we don't know what's gonna happen to him, but. <laughs> Yeah, for him to be the kind of, you know, like, oh, like, here's this, you know, he like, I, I think you said, um, who did you say before was the audience surrogate? Um, Lambert. Lambert, Lambert right. Lambert, right. Right. But here is the, that kind of curiosity as we kind of explore, start to explore this, like, we want to know what's going on up there. So it's like, oh, then he he's kind of our uh, proxy in this. Definitely. And then as we follow him, but then it's, you know, we get kind of. Uh, that gets kind of turned on his head a little bit when all of a sudden he's he's uh, kind of taken out for a while. I think the other thing that's happening here is they're working very hard to make sure that we still can't see anything. Yeah. You know, that we'll get glimpses of this strange wall, but otherwise this is shrouded in darkness, and it's, it's really disorienting. Well, I think one of the things that we naturally do as, as movie viewers is jump to some kind of a conclusion. We want to make sense of something. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was we, 
we were talking about how this is like a rib cage, this corridor. It's very strange, the biomechanical nature of it. But my immediate assumption is that this is a passageway in, in the ship. That, um, or if, if you make the assumption that it's just a cave, there's that. But knowing that it's a ship, I assume that this is a passageway for the crew of the ship to, to traverse. But um, this is more for tomorrow's minute, but I wanted to plant the seed about whether or not that's true. Um, we don't see the space jockey till tomorrow, but I think that there's a significant, I, I don't know if you can come to a conclusion about it, but it makes you wonder what this is that they're walking through in fact. Yeah. You know the doorway in Forbidden Planet that's yeah. not shaped like a square, but it's this weird kind of, I don't know, two sides and then a point at the top of it to give you a sense of what the creature looks like. You're right. Like, who else would use a door like that? What kind of shape would they have to have to go through that door? Right. All right. So I think that does it for this minute. Does anybody have anything else? I just, uh, I told you I got distracted by his hands because it was, it looks obvious to me now that these are hockey gloves that he's wearing. Yeah. Um, is that, have you guys talked about the costuming and all of that? No, go me? ahead. Talk about it. That's no, I'm, I'm, they I'm are wondering. hockey gloves. They, they totally look like hockey gloves and I had never noticed that before, but I don't, uh, do we know who, who is the costume designer for this? It's something you don't really think about for you. Obviously when I, I think about the art design, I think of, you know, Giger and, 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 uh, you know, the, the ship and the, you know, the kind of space feeling of it, but the, the costumes are actually really, um, you know, even thinking through the crew, they're, they're, they're all really kind of natural looking. Yeah. They, they feel like they're truly put together and truly functional. And yet at the same time, there's this really magic aesthetic to it. We talked last week a little bit about how Japanese they look. They look like samurai armor almost. No, I just did background research. It's uh, uh, John Malo. John Malo, Moyo? I'm not yeah, sure. How he, yeah, who also did uh, a lot of the, the kind of military outfits for Star Wars. He did all the, you know, the Imperial officer outfits and, and the rebels. Um, so he's the one who did the, the space suits and this. So that yeah, that's that's consistent. I, I like his work. <laughs> yeah, no, they're great. You know, the thought I thought you might go here, but it's probably just me. When I saw those gloves today, I thought about the Hellboy hand, Hellboy's hand mm. for some reason. Yeah, there's like a big ring right there at the wrist and everything. And I just had this momentary thought, but um, yeah, hockey gloves make a lot more sense. Uh, <laughs> we don't follow hockey that much around Kansas City, so maybe it just didn't come to mind so, as quickly. Yeah. Apparently, they were really difficult to work with the actors were all complaining about them because you really couldn't hold on to anything. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'm sure that it looked like modified and, you know, painted and with all kinds of other, you know, accessories kind of glommed on there. I wonder if, is there any movie costuming that anybody ever came out of the movie saying, Oh, it was a pleasure to wear that costume. It always seems like it's a great <laughs> problem, an incredible problem to wear a movie costume of any kind. So, Better to look good than yeah. to feel good. Uh, form follows function in movies for sure. All right. Well, that's going to do it for minute number 28. Um, you can find us at alienminute.com or follow us at alienminutepod on Twitter. Or you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Stitcher app. Um, tune in tomorrow for minute number 29.